It's Saturday, May the 29th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Biden unveils budget and America's inflation surges. First, the week in brief. President Joe Biden unveiled his six trillion US dollar budget request for the 2022 fiscal year. As expected, it includes hefty bumps for spending on education, infrastructure and social services. To help fund his domestic spending proposals, Mr Biden wants to increase the corporate tax rate from 21% to 28% and raise income and capital gains taxes for the richest Americans. The administration expects the economy to grow by 5.2% this year, as the country recovers from the COVID-19 pandemic. The Core Personal Consumption Expenditure Index, a measure of inflation compiled by America's Commerce Department, jumped by 3.1% last month compared with April 2020. The unexpected surge was the largest since 1992, raising concerns about the economy overheating. Personal income decreased by 13% from March to April in nominal terms as stimulus payments dried up. Consumer spending increased by a meagre 0.5% in the same period, also in nominal terms. The month before, it jumped 4.7%. Republicans in the Senate used the first filibuster of the 117th Congress to prevent the establishment of an independent commission into the Capitol riot on January the 6th. Though six Republicans voted in favour, 35 others refused to vote for an investigation into the storming of the Capitol that left five people dead. The Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell called the investigation, quote, extraneous. Vladimir Putin spoke again of, quote, building the Union State of Russia and Belarus during a meeting with his embattled counterpart Alexander Lukashenko yesterday. That Mr Lukashenko is cozying up to Mr Putin is unsurprising. Europe is increasingly unwilling to indulge the autocrat. The EU has released an outline of a possible economic stabilisation plan worth 3 billion euros, around 4 billion US dollars, conditional on Belarus beginning a democratic transition. Muhyiddin Yassin, Malaysia's Prime Minister, announced a two-week nationwide lockdown in response to a soaring rate of COVID-19 infections. On Friday, the country recorded nearly 8,290 new cases, its highest daily increase since the start of the pandemic. Meanwhile, Japan extended its state of emergency for Tokyo and eight other prefectures until June the 20th, ahead of the Olympics in July. The EU gave the green light for the Pfizer-BioNTech jab to be given to 12- to 15-year-olds. It is the first COVID-19 vaccine the bloc has approved for adolescents. Trial data released by the manufacturer found it offers them 100% protection from infection. Germany plans to start inoculating the age group on June the 7th. The vaccine is already approved for use on younger teenagers in America. 
Microsoft revealed that Nobelium, the Russian group behind the SolarWinds hack, has been attempting to invade the systems of various organisations involved in human rights advocacy and in the development sector. It sent phishing emails, supposedly from USAID, to 3,000 accounts belonging to 150 organisations. The tech titan said such, quote, nation-state cyber attacks aren't slowing. And fact of the day, people who work in well-ventilated offices score 61% higher on cognitive tests than those who work in traditional office setups. And now, here's today's agenda. Remembering Tulsa, the burning of Black Wall Street. By 1921, the Greenwood District of Tulsa, Oklahoma, was prosperous enough to be dubbed, quote, Black Wall Street. Beyond generating wealth, it produced art. It boasted a jazz and blues scene that influenced Count Basie, a big band leader, among others. But 100 years ago, a white mob descended, destroying 35 city blocks and leaving hundreds dead. For decades, America erased this program from its public memory, until a state-commissioned report on the massacre in 2001 started a reckoning. This weekend, a huge event should have commemorated the centennial. Among the sombre memorials, artists including John Legend, a singer, and Brandon Leake, a spoken word poet, were to perform, invoking the culture that had been raised with the city. But federal government officials warned the event could become the target of white supremacist violence. Shortly after, it was cancelled. The empty stage will stand as a grim reminder that America still has a long way to go in addressing its racial divisions. Return to Central Perk Friends Reunion In February 2020, Almost 16 years after the last episode of Friends aired, HBO Max announced that the gang was getting back together. The nascent streaming service needed content that was guaranteed to pull in viewers, even if it wasn't fresh or exciting. A Friends reunion was an obvious choice. The show offered an idealised portrait of life as a young person in the big city, and some viewers can't get enough of the reruns. In 2020, American viewers spent more than 96 billion minutes watching them via broadcast and cable channels alone. Critics have called the one-off special, which was released on the platform this week after a COVID-induced delay, lackluster. Rather than a reboot, it followed the cast members as they visited the old sets and reminisced about making the cultural phenomenon. But the critics' views mattered little to the show's legions of fans. HBO's app crashed within minutes of the release because of high demand. Shepherded by wolves, lowering deer roadkill. Most motorists will never run over anything bigger than a fox. But America's rural Midwest produces bigger roadkill. In Wisconsin alone, 20,000 people hit deer annually. 
This carnage costs millions of dollars and a handful of human lives each year. New research in Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, a journal, describes a natural preventative, wolves. Analysis of decades of data from the Badger State found that introducing wolves to a county reduces deer vehicle collisions by 24%. Unfortunately for the deer, this is partly by predation. Wolves thin out the population, so there are fewer cervids to hit. More important, though, is wolves' effect on deer behaviour. The canines prowl and hunt alongside trails and roads, frightening deer away like sheepdogs herding a flock. Economic savings aside, this solution seems more natural. A deer eaten by predators continues the circle of life. One slain by an SUV is wasteful and dangerous. Full English, the Champions League final. The Champions League final will be an all-English affair today, with Manchester City playing Chelsea. Europe's most prestigious club football tournament is dominated by clubs from the English, German, Italian and Spanish leagues, which have provided 39 of the 42 finalists going back to 2000. The other three? Monaco, Paris Saint-Germain and Porto. Spain once towered over the rest, providing seven of the ten finalists between 2014 and 2018. But English clubs have displaced their Spanish counterparts as Europe's elite, with two all-English finals in three years. There are two interconnected reasons for this. Bumper domestic broadcasting rights deals with Amazon, BT and Sky that came into effect in 2016 further increased the wealth gap between the English Premier League and Continental Leagues. These agreements made all clubs in the league richer, stiffening domestic competition and battle-hardening English clubs for European clashes. The downside to dominance? Neither side will have an easy ride tonight. Saturday Profile Mikitani Hiroshi, Olympian Skeptic The Japanese establishment is in lockstep, determined to hold the Olympic Games in Tokyo this summer. That leaves Mikitani Hiroshi, the founder and CEO of Rakuten, one of Japan's largest tech firms, to say out loud what many ordinary Japanese are feeling, that putting on the games during a pandemic is, quote, a suicide mission. Japan's vaccine rollout has been slow, and many fear the Olympics will be a deadly distraction. Mr. Mikitani's boldness is unusual for corporate leaders, who tend to rise through the ranks of their companies quietly. But it has served Mr. Mikitani well throughout his career. In the 1990s, he left a comfortable job at the Industrial Bank of Japan and leapt into the nascent internet business. An e-commerce pioneer, he developed Rakuten into a sprawling tech conglomerate now worth some 14 billion US dollars. When Keidanran, Japan's uber-powerful and ultra-traditional big business federation, continued to back the nuclear industry after the Fukushima disaster in 2011, he broke ranks. He formed a rival group, the Japan Association of New Economy, 
with a focus on e-business. More globally minded than most, he made English the lingua franca at Rakuten and expanded aggressively overseas. But his latest big bet is his boldest. Since 2018, he has poured at least 8 billion US dollars into building a state-of-the-art mobile network from scratch in Japan. It eschews the hardware-centric approach of traditional telecom companies, instead using low-cost base stations and cloud-based architecture to create a virtual network adaptable for a new modular technology called OpenRAN. Many observers thought it a doomed mission. CEO friends told him, quote, You're going to fail, Mr. Mikitani recalled in an interview with The Economist last year. While the mobile business has yet to turn a profit, OpenRAN is attracting lots of attention. The technology promises to free operators from reliance on single suppliers of network infrastructure. That's an attractive proposition given concerns about the influence of the Chinese government over Huawei, the world's biggest 5G equipment supplier. If Mr. Mikitani can help engineer a solution to such a pressing technological and geopolitical problem, it will be a feat worthy of more than a gold medal. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Archibald Cox, who died on this day in 2004. Social protest and even civil disobedience serve the law's need for growth. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.